0: God, our heart um, is filled with um, laments and compassion at the same time for the children who um, have been separated from their parents. Um, God, I pray that you'd comfort them, Lord, that you would give them, Lord, your peace. Lord, I pray that even they would know your overwhelming love that you have for them. God, I pray for our president and for those in leadership. God, we pray for great wisdom to be upon them. Lord, that they truly would be a Romans 13 government that upholds what is good. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, just continue, um, Lord, to reconcile even our country. And uh, God, we pray for them this morning. Lord, we also pray for a time in your word today. Lord, that you would meet with us. God, we pray as we um, walk through Psalm 139. God, we pray that you would stun us with how glorious you are, how big you are, how immense you are. God, we want to see you high and lifted up in this psalm, and so God, would you open our eyes and open our hearts and move in that way, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our uh, sermon series on God is, where we're looking at different attributes uh, of God with the hope that it shapes a healthy understanding of all that God is, and in J.D. Greer's new book, Uh, Not God Enough, he claims that nearly every problem that you and I have in this life can be traced back to having a low view and a low understanding of God. He says that for most of the time, the reason why we have marital problems and anxiety and lust and bitterness and a discontented heart stems from viewing God not as we should. I would maybe go a step further and say that many of us experience kind of the tendency to uh, shrink God down to a size that we're comfortable with, that we kind of prefer a God where there's no mystery, there's uh, no tension, no unanswered questions, that sometimes we like to, to reduce God to a size that's small and domesticated, a God who thinks Like how we think or likes what we like, who doesn't disagree with us, a God that we can maybe predict or manage or even control. J.D. Greer in this book says there's a problem with that when we try to do that. He says that a God we can predict, instruct, and control is not a God who will captivate our affections or command our devotion. Because we have made him small enough to be understood, he is no longer big enough to be worshiped. We believe that's true. And it's part of the reason why we're in the sermon series. We want uh, to grow our understanding of God. We want this God that we see in Scripture to be big, to be impossible to comprehend, so much to the point that it inspires awe and worship in our hearts. Because we know when our hearts are filled with that awe and that wonder and that devotion to God, that impacts every area of our lives. We have all of God impacts how we function in our marriages, how we go through suffering, how we fight temptation, and so on and so forth. And so this morning, we're going to look at two attributes that will help us have a huge view of God, and that is God's omniscience and God's omnipresence. So two ideas that I want us to uh, grasp this morning from Psalm 139 is that God's knowledge is inexhaustible. And God's presence is immeasurable. We'll start with the first one here. God's knowledge is inexhaustible. Theologians call this omniscience, that God's omniscience means that he knows all things, past, present, and future. He knows things that are real. He knows things that are potential, and he knows them all at once. So God knows what was, God knows what is, he knows what will be, and he even knows what can be that won't be. It's impossible to comprehend all of that, but that's the knowledge of God. He knows all things perfectly, which also means that he doesn't know one thing better than another, but he knows all things perfectly equal. God never discovers anything, he's never surprised by anything, he doesn't forget anything anything. He doesn't learn anything. In fact, his knowledge doesn't grow or expand like our knowledge does. God has never had that moment where a light bulb goes off in his mind, where he finally connects the dots between some things. He doesn't have epiphanies. But God's knowledge is undivided, it's unchanging, and it is eternal. In fact, one theologian said this. He said, God knows all things instantaneously, simultaneously, from eternity. All things are eternally present to his mind's eye. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 11, just kind of breaks out in praise about the knowledge of God. Now, Romans 9 through 11 might be the weightiest chapters that we have in all of the Bible, and he's wrestling with the sovereignty of God and really some deep theological truths, he just kind of gets to the end of it, and he breaks out by saying this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Look, the omniscience of God, it pushes the boundaries of what we can think about God we see very clearly how different God is than us. But through God's omniscience, we also see God's love and his compassion towards us. See, yes, God's knowledge is big. It's glorious, it's broad, it's deep. But God's knowledge is also personal. And that's what we see in Psalm 139. The psalmist, King David here, helps us to personalize the omniscience of God. He helps us take this this, uh, this attribute of God that is so hard to comprehend, and he personalizes it for us. So he begins this psalm in Psalm 139 by talking about God searching him and knowing him. And then you get towards the end of Psalm 139, verse 23, and he talks about God searching him and knowing his heart. And so we see the main focus, the main theme of Psalm 139 is the knowledge of God. And yet in this context, this kind of knowledge that David talks about is personal, it's caring, it's even intimate. In fact, I'd probably go as far as to say as God's omniscience is one of the most important aspects of his attributes because God knowing us leads to him being in relationship with us. If you look at verse 1, David uh, gives a statement of personal intimacy with God. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. So God knows us because he has searched us. And to say that God has searched us is to say that God looks deeply into our lives. In fact, the Hebrew word here means to examine carefully or to explore. This word could be used to describe a burglar who was kind of searching for uh, some valuable possessions. Whenever I think about this concept of God searching and God knowing us, it always kind of reminds me of a daily occurrence in the Beals household. When I'm standing in front of that refrigerator and I'm trying to search for an item in the fridge, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can never find what I'm looking for. Like, I don't know if, like, Lindsay is trying to intentionally hide things from me or if just, like, everything is camouflaged, but I can never find what I'm looking for. Like, I open up the fridge, and I'm looking for things. I'm moving the milk. I'm, you know, trying to find the cream cheese or something, and I just inevitably give up. I'm like, Lindsay, where is the cream cheese? And, and whenever I, like, say that, even when I say that right now, there's almost like this accusatory tone as if she's intentionally trying to hide something from me, but she's not. She comes over. And she, in two seconds, finds exactly what I'm looking for, hands it to me. Doesn't say a word, but I know what she's thinking. I've been married long enough. I know what she's thinking. She's like, you are such a dummy. Like, you can interpret scripture, you know, the Greek and Hebrew, but you can't find anything in our fridge ever. And then she just kind of walks away. Well, my point is in sharing that is that, like, God's searching and God knowing us is not like that at all. Like, it's not like that. Uh, that old Bud Light commercial where you look in the, in the fridge and it just keeps going and going and going. You can't find anything. That's not God searching and God knowing us. In fact, the way that God searches us is almost like a, a jewelry expert who holds up a diamond and meticulously looks at it through that small magnifying glass, sees every point, sees every angle, and he does that with everything, everyone, past, present, and future, all at once. God searches, and he knows us. David puts more color on the knowledge of God in verses 2 through 5. He starts to unpack what does it mean that God knows us. So I want to kind of travel through these couple of verses by asking the question, what does God know about us? Okay, here's what we find. Verse 2a shows us that God knows what we do. God knows the details of our days. He says, when I sit down and when I rise up. Secondly, in verse 2b, it says, God knows our thoughts. God knows what we are thinking no matter where we are. Verse 3, God knows where we go. He knows the path of our lives. He knows where you've been, where you are going, and what the future holds. God knows every direction of our lives. Verse 4, God knows what we say. He even knows the words in our mind before we even speak them. Just think about how many words you've actually said and think about all the words that you've wanted to say but you didn't say in your mind. God knows those as well. In verse 5, God knows what we need. Verse 5, David here is using some imagery from war. David knew all about strategic battle plans. He knew exactly how to surround an enemy, how to ambush and surround a city even. And David's expressing just this feeling in a good way of being trapped by the knowledge of God. There's nowhere that he can go where God's knowledge is not there. And he gives him exactly what he needs. This is quite a description of God's knowledge of us. God knows what we do. He knows our thoughts. He knows where we go, what we say, what we need. God's knowledge is inexhaustible. And yet, what does this mean practically for us? Like This is nice to kind of do a theological exercise and talk about God's omniscience, but what does this mean for you and I day in and day out? Well, the fact that God's knowledge is inexhaustible means that there are no secrets that we can keep from him. There's nothing that we can hide from God. God sees it all and God knows it all. I'm sure when I say that, there are uh, different emotions that might fill your heart when I when I talk about that, that there's nothing that you can hide from him. Maybe your heart is filled with fear this morning, and rightfully so. Like, that's understandable. The fact that God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every word that you've spoken. He knows every action, every thought, every motive, every look that you've given. Like, that, that should scare us before the holiness of God. Like, through understanding God's omniscience, we actually understand better our need for a Savior. We understand that if God sees everything, he knows all of our secrets, all of our sins, like we're in deep trouble before the holiness of God. Like there's no hiding things. There's no sweeping things under the rug. There's no deleting your search history from the internet with God. He sees it all and he knows it all. And that elevates this need for a savior whose name is Jesus. That in Jesus we have and we find the forgiveness of our sins, all the things that we've done, all the things that we have done to offend God, Jesus paid for on the cross. This should also lead us to having an aggressive posture towards sin. We understand that we can't hide anything from God, so we shouldn't tolerate the sin that's in our lives. We should kill it and remove it. But another emotion that might fill your heart this morning as we look at the omniscience of God is also comfort. The fact that God knows everything, he knows your life better than you do, that should give you a sense of peace to rest on the fact that if God does know the past, present, and future all at once, he knows exactly what the plan is for my life, even when we don't. And so that should create kind of a posture of, of resting upon the sovereign hand of God. You know, there's there's something else that like has been stirring in my heart this week as I've been wrestling with the omniscience of God. And we kind of sang it this morning. Like I cannot get out of my mind this idea that God knows me fully and yet loves me perfectly. Like I just cannot stop thinking about, even as we were singing like the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Like it it hits me all over again that God knows all of my mess. He knows all of my secrets, all of my struggles, looks at me, and loves me unconditionally. Like, I, I didn't deserve any of that. I, I, didn't, I didn't earn his love in any sense of the way. I was his enemy, and yet he knows me. He knows everything about me, and yet sets his love upon me. Like, if there's, if there's one thing that you hear this morning, you walk out of this room, and you're chewing on one thing, let it be this. That God fully knows you and yet loves you perfectly, that he loves you unconditionally, not as you should be, but exactly as you are here today. He doesn't love some future, more sanctified version of yourself, someone that's more cleaned up. No, no, he loves you this morning with all of your issues, all of your doubts, all of the messiness he has set his affection upon you. Look, as we're singing these songs about the love of God this morning, even in the future, we need to be reminded it's not because of what we do. It's not because we've earned anything, but God loves because he is love. It's his nature to love. I love how Tim Keller kind of connects these two ideas about knowledge and love. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greater fear. You believe that? It says, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Like you are fully known and perfectly loved this morning. And that is what all of us deep down crave, and yet we find it in a God who is omniscient. I think this is what causes the psalmist David to to burst out in praise in verse 6. He just cannot contain the knowledge of God. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. The omniscience of God kind of forces us to put our hands over our mouths, just in awe and wonder about the beauty and the bigness of who God is, that God knows everything, and yet God knows us personally. So God's knowledge is inexhaustible, but secondly, God's presence is immeasurable. God's presence is immeasurable. This is the second omni that I want us to see this morning, that God is omnipresent. In other words, uh, God's being has no limits, that in God's infinite presence, he surrounds the finite creation and contains it. So look, there's no place that God is not present Okay, so when you're thinking about this, don't think that God is just really, really big, but think that God is incontainable, that he's everywhere and he's everywhere at once. And yet not only that, God's not just everywhere at once, but God is fully present everywhere at once. Okay, this is what kind of blows my mind is that God's not playing some cosmic twister game where he's trying to like stretch himself in an infinite number of locations, God's not, like, dividing up a little bits and pieces of himself in New York City and Moscow and Noblesville. No, no, he's everywhere, fully present at once. God's actually never had that moment of, of being like, oh, no, I double booked. I'm supposed to be in New York, and I'm supposed to be in L.A. at the same time. He's never had that moment like you and I have had that moment. But he's everywhere, fully present in all places, past, present, and future. And this truth emerges in verses 7 through 12 it's just some amazing statements that we need to consider about the presence and the omnipresence of God uh, these verses will confront this uh, this growing mindset that I'm I'm seeing more and more even among Christians that says I believe in God's existence for helping me with eternity but the way that I'm going to practically live my life is almost going to be like an atheist it's kind of this practical atheism that's growing in evangelicalism where we trust Jesus for, for heaven to get us out of hell, but the way that we live our lives day in and day out looks a lot like a moral atheist. We try to do what's right, but we rarely think about the presence of God. We rarely think about the existence of God and how that impacts our parenting, how that impacts our uh, how we operate in the workplace, how we battle temptations, how we go through life—like, does the presence of God do, does it impact the way that you live your life, moment to moment? Like, we're really good at compartmentalizing the presence of God. Like, I'm sure as you were driving here on Sundays, there was kind of this expectations of of, of meeting with God and experiencing His presence. Maybe when you open up your Bible and you have your devotions in the morning, there's this awareness of God's presence. But what about throughout the day? Are you connecting this idea of God's omnipresence with every arena of your life? Look, we need this reminder this morning of verses 7 through 12 about God's presence being everywhere and how it impacts us. So verse 7 here, he asks these two rhetorical questions. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, given the fact that in verse 6, David just got done praising God, I take this verse to mean that he's kind of breaking out in celebration about God's presence. He's not asking these questions trying to flee or trying to run or avoid God. No, he's, he's basking in the glory of God's omnipresence. And furthermore, to expand on this, He makes four if statements in these next couple of verses. These four if statements are designed to illustrate the scope of his omnipresence. Look with me at verse 8. We see um, high or low, God is still present. There's no place that's outside of God's rule. That he governs over the realm above, and he rules over the grave. Not even heaven or hell is outside of God's presence. Now some might ask, well, is God present even in hell? Or is hell outside of the presence of God? Well, yes, God is present in the form of his rule and in his control. But no, in the sense of his presence as it relates to having fellowship with him. That hell is separation from God. Even the place of a final judgment is not outside of God's control and God's rule and presence. There's no place, high or low, not even hell. That's outside of the presence of God. Secondly, verses 9 and 10, we see east or west, God is there. So as far as one could consider traveling, God is still there. The psalmist considers the rising sun to the east or the vast Mediterranean Sea to the west, and yet no matter where he traveled, God was there. And I love verse 10 here. He, he actually personalizes the presence of God uh, in this verse. He says, Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. I love this promise here. Like, I I wonder if some of us in this room need to be reminded of this promise. Like, maybe verse 10 is exactly what you need to hear today. And maybe you're going through a transition in life, maybe a season of uncertainty. Like, be reminded that God promises to lead you, that God is leading you right now that God's hand will hold you, that his, his presence holds us fast, that you will never be alone, even as you go through a time of uncertainty or a major life transition. Look, I want to encourage you, if that is you this morning, just want to encourage you not to not to desire clarity over the direction, over the decision you're trying to make, over the presence of God. Like sometimes we do that when we're trying to make a decision in life where we're praying and we're praying and praying. We're seeking the Lord. And sometimes we can idolize clarity over a decision we're making over just being in the presence of God. Like I just want to encourage you, we're we're never promised full clarity in the decisions that we make, but we are promised the presence of God as He guides us and as He directs us and as He puts His hand upon us. So no matter where we go, He is there. And the last thing here is darkness or light, God is there. In verse eleven, David talks about the presence of darkness. Now, some commentators think that the psalmist is talking about darkness here because he's trying to like avoid God, he's trying to flee God. And yet I take this to mean that the there's a fearful and threatening nature about darkness. Like there's something about the evening, about pitch darkness that is really scary. Like even the NASB translates this as the darkness will overwhelm me. So look, if you've ever gone through a a season of deep grief, maybe a time of uncertainty, you know that overwhelming sense of isolation that that can cause. Like maybe you're even here this morning hearing this sermon and there's this deep ache of loneliness in your heart. There's this sense of feeling isolated and the darkness that comes with that. Look, I just want to encourage you this morning that the reality of verse 12 is a beautiful promise. Verse 12 tells us that God not only knows about our struggles, but he is right there with you even in the midst of darkness. He says this, he says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Like, we cannot trust our perception of God's closeness to be fully accurate all of the time. Like, God is present and God is with us, whether we feel it to be the case or not. Like, how aware you are of that reality that God is with you will impact the way that you live your life. Look, when our hearts come to us and they, our hearts try to deceive us with the lie that God has left us, that we're all by ourselves, that we are deserted. Look, we need to respond to those lies with the fact that God is omnipresent, that we respond with the promises of God's word, like, like Hebrews 13. It says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look, life may be hard, but God is still there. Sorrow may feel overwhelming, but God is with us. There is nothing that is outside the presence of God. And if you're a Christian this morning, there's nothing that can remove you from the presence of God and from, and from his great love. I love this promise in Romans chapter 8 of God's inseparable presence. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just amazing reality that we cannot escape the presence of God and his great love for us. This reality caused Isaac Watts to write a hymn in the early 1700s. He wrote this beautiful hymn called, Lord, Thou hast searched and seen me through. Let me just read a couple of verses here. He says, my thoughts, before they are my own, are to my God distinctly known. He knows the words I mean to speak, ere from my opening lips they break. Within thy circling power I stand, on every side I find thy hand. Awake, asleep, at home, abroad, I am surrounded still with God. It's just a beautiful reality to know that No matter where you go, God is with you. God is everywhere. He's present in the pain. He is working in every circumstance. And that if you are in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from His love. And yet, not only that, but God knows you perfectly. He knows you better than you know yourself. You are fully known and yet fully loved. There's so much in this psalm. We're going to have to save a lot of this for a later time. But Notice how the psalmist closes Psalm 139 here in verses 23 and 24. We'll just close with the time of reflection. He says this, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And notice the way that he responds to the bigness of God. He says, search me. Try me, expose me, lead me. Look, Notice that all of God leads to humility, it leads to confession, it leads to submission. That this is the correct response to a God who is omniscient and omnipresent, that we respond confessing sin and asking him to show us the way, show us the path of wisdom, of the way of everlasting. Look, if you're here this morning not yet a Christian, these these attributes can actually lead you to Christ, that yes, you are fully known by him, but also there's a path of forgiveness that's been made by Jesus on the cross. And look, it is our desire that you place your faith upon Jesus, even here this morning and even in this moment, that you can be fully known and fully loved by your creator. Well, in the next couple of moments, we're going to have just a time to reflect upon the greatness of God, God's omniscience, God's omnipresence. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, I just want to encourage you to invite the Lord to search your heart over the next couple of moments, that out of humility, just to consider that God knows everything about you, everything that you're going through, and maybe there are some things in your life that are not godly, that you want to turn from and confess and repent of, even here this morning. I just want to encourage you just to, just to open up your heart to the Lord today, like He knows what's going on. He knows the temptations that you face. He knows the doubts that you're wrestling with. He knows some of the things that that weigh heavily upon your heart. And just to talk to him, to open up your heart before God who sees all and a God who knows all and a God who is with us. So let's take the next couple of moments to do that and then I'll come back up and close us in a word of prayer. benediction this morning from psalm 23 reflect on the lord being our good shepherd says this the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake and even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray together. God, we give you praise that you are the good shepherd. God, you know your sheep by name. Lord, you have every one of our hairs on our heads counted. God, you know our burdens and our struggles, and there's nowhere that we can go, no hardship, no place geographically that we can hide from your presence. So God, I pray that we would walk out of this room with hearts filled with awe about a God that we can't comprehend. God, we want to embrace that tension, that there is mystery, that there are things about you that we can't understand. And God, we want want it that way because if we could comprehend you, you'd cease to be God. So Lord, lead us as a people to be a group of individuals who are filled with worship towards you. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.